Oh, yes, it's here. Weather's going to be great again. We made it through another winter. For me, that's kind of why I'm way more aware of when the vintage changes for rosés than others, because there's that kind of like stark, you know, stop and then the promise of balmy days to come. Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, produced by the Capital Times. The lakes have thawed, and there's rain in the forecast, so it must be spring. I drink pink wine all year round, but when we can see the start of summer just a couple of long weeks away, I love it even more. And lucky for us, finding great rosé has never been easier. Not insipid white Zinfandel, and not bone-dry rosé that sucks your mouth dry, but beautiful, balanced, fresh rosés that seem tailor-made for right now. I am Lindsay Christians, food writer for the Capital Times, and on this week's episode, I spoke with my friend Bob Haymauer, who is a partner at Cork and Bottle on East Johnson. He knows his way around rosé. I predict after this episode, we may all have a few more bottles to try. Enjoy! Hello, Bob. Welcome. Hey, Lindsay. How are you? I am doing great, and I am super ready for spring. Uh, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got rosés here today. I do. I do. It's um, it's it's the first. It's like the robin, the first robin of spring. It's it's the rosé season is upon us. I'm I don't very, even very care excited. if it snows after that. Like so long as I have rosé, it will feel like spring. You know, I will say this. I have a, a, a firm belief that it is that rosé season exists in one's mind. So I will drink rosé in December and I will drink it, you know, in, with Thanksgiving. And I I love rosé all year round because, again, it's, it's, a, it's, not, it's not a seasonal thing. It's a state of mind for me. And I encourage others to adopt that philosophy. When I was a lowly wine clerk, and people would ask me about how rosé was made, I would tell them so confidently that rosé is made from the juice that comes off of red grapes without letting it sit on the skins to give it lots of color. But I have since learned that there are several ways to make rosé, and one of them is, in fact, blending red wine and white wine. So it's true. <laughs> first question I have for you today is, how is rosé made? Well, I, you, you have alluded to it. It's uh, Rosé is not... You know, there's all rosé does is describe the color, and there's a lot of different ways that you can make a, you know, a pink wine. Um, you can, like you said, you can uh, blend two different grapes together. You can, you know, blend a red and a white wine that's already been fermented and kind of they're made, and you just kind of blend them and bottle them, and then that'll make a pink wine. Those can be really great depending on the producer and how, you know, what sort of thoughts put into it. But generally, um, the higher quality rosés are made of, you know, one of two ways. One, which is the way that you described it. You know, you make red wine and then you, you know, bleed off, Sanye method bleeding. Um, you bleed off some of the juice after it's only been macerating on the skins for a very short amount of time. Um, and that can make some really compelling, delicious, you know, rosés. I think a lot of Provence rosés. Um, that from producers, especially like in that ten to fifteen dollar range, I think that's uh, a way that you can have those kind of quality wines at that price level. It's because it is just kind of a natural byproduct of um, quality winemaking. And, and the other way is to make the deliberate decision in the vineyard to 
you know, to pick at the, you know, the particular right time to make a delicious, you know, light-bodied, you know, rosé. Um, and I, with anything with wine, it's all what's in the glass. I don't think there's one thing, one method that would make a more necessarily a more compelling rosé. Although, you know, the thinking is that if you picked for rosé and you, you make the rosé from those grapes, that was a deliberate decision made from, you know, from bud break through harvest into the cellar. And so the idea is that would be a higher expression. But then again, if you just have a bunch of really not that great grapes, then it's not going to make great wine. So again, like with anything, like, you know, we've said it before when we've talked, it's like not having absolute beliefs when it comes to wine and really trusting what's in the glass and, you know, trusting who you buy it from are um, the kind of the keys to navigating it. You mentioned vintage, and it does mm-hmm. change vintage to vintage. One of the reasons I've always loved rosé is because I feel like I get that vintage variation, mm-hmm. but I get it so like, oh, I can tell the difference between a 2015 and a 2017. Mm-hmm. Isn't this awesome? Um, but also the new vintage of rosé when it comes out in the spring is a big deal, and it seems to me like it's a bigger deal than when white wine white wines come out, like totally. the new 2017s of white wine. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you can just – why is that? Well, I think it's a couple different things. Um one, white wine is – it's typically kept in stock more both at the distributor and the retail and the winery level. I mean all three of those levels. With rosé, the the old saw is that no one wants to be holding that last case of rosé on September 30th, right? Like when the season's over, the season's over and then people stop drinking it. Although that's really changing too. But what that means is distributors, retailers, et cetera, are willing to you know, let rosé go out of stock – um, partly because, you know, the, the demand really softens when the weather gets colder, but, you know, also partly because they're generally rosé is not a high, per, like a high volume production for any given winery. So they run out, the wineries run out and then the distributors run out, then the retailers run out. So by the time we get to February, there aren't a ton left, you know, we, at, at the shop, we really try to keep, you know, 12, 15 rosés you know, in the shop year round and then expand it when it gets warmer. But it's tough because there isn't a ton to buy. So I think the thing is, like, when they start coming out, it's like, oh, yes, it's here. Weather's going to be great again. We made it through another winter. And I think for me, that's kind of why I'm way more aware of when the vintage changes for rosés than others, because there is that kind of like stark, you know, stop and then the promise of balmy days to come. What did you bring today? Oh, I brought two of my favorites. Um, number one we're going to try is from the folks at Ostatu. This is a Rioja Alavesa producer. Um, they've had these vineyards in their family for like five or six generations, but only recently really started bottling their own their own wines, and they make a fantastic line of rosés. These come from uh, high-altitude vineyards. We're talking you know, 15, 1800 feet in Rioja Olivesa. Um, and this is a blend of Tempranillo, Garnacha, and then this, like we alluded to before, it does have a little bit of Viura in it. Um, and again, this is made in a way such that the grapes are picked and then the Viura is co-fermented or like, you know, put in a vat with the Tempranillo and Garnacha. So it is a blend of red and white, but it's not a blend of red and white wine. It's a blend of red and white grapes. Um, 
from vintage to vintage, um, this one does see some vintage variation at its most compelling. And I think 2017 is a really great example of this. It's like crushed rocks and herbs and just a little bit of kind of tart raspberry fruit. And it's just, it's a really, it's an amazing bottle of wine for 14 bucks. The color is kind of a light carnation. Mm-hmm. And I love the color variation of rosé. There's very, very light pink that's a kind of barest color. Mm-hmm. And you get that like almost deep magenta all the way all the way to that. It doesn't tell you a lot about necessarily about the flavor of the wine, like what it's going to taste like. Sure. But I just, I love seeing that spectrum. Mm-hmm. This one is almost floral on the nose. Yeah, it's so pretty. It's everything you look for in a rosé. I think it's really bats out of its class. Uh, like I said, it's a fourteen dollar bottle of wine. I love the acidity <laughs> and in it. Yeah, and it's very bright, mouth watering, but it has this um, this kind of mouth coating minerality to it, which makes it a very very easy to drink. Not every grape makes good rosé. Yeah, it's just I, I find that often. Um, like higher alcohol wines or wines that are really, 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 really fruity, mm-hmm. um, grapes that make fruity wine, I should say, don't necessarily result in I, – I have never had a delicious white Zinfandel, but that does not mean it does not exist. I have. They're hard to find, and they have to be made deliberately. And I think it's one of – like Zinfandel, to me, is one of those grapes – that if you're going to make a rosé from it, if you're going to make a white Zinfandel or a rosé of Zinfandel, it really has to be a deliberate choice in the vineyard. Um, I think the compelling examples I've had have been picked to be rosé, you know, not made as, in the Sanye method or as byproduct of red wine making. Um, I can't think of a grape that I haven't had at least one compelling rosé from, although there are certain grapes that I think are more you know, kind of predictably compelling than others. Like Tempranillo, like the one that we just tried, this Ostatu Rosado, you know. I haven't had a ton of great rosé of Tempranillo in my life. I've had a lot of rosé of Tempranillo, but... (laughs) Yeah, I haven't had a lot that I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go back to and I can't wait for the next vintage to come out. And this is one of those wines that, again, when you're in the hands of a deliberate, careful winemaker who wants to make a... A, pro, a product that is unto itself and not just a byproduct or a cash grab or whatever whatever cynical um, kind of term you want to put to it. Like, and I think it can be really compelling, and I think this is a great example of that. I will say, like, having rosés in my cellar, it, it's wonderful for a couple of reasons. You get access to a winery and a winery's work that you other, maybe I wouldn't otherwise be able to experience, but mm-hmm. also – there's no pressure to sit on it. And I feel it's like Rosé just says, drink me right now. The nice thing is that you don't have to wait. Like there's it's no true. pressure to wait. Although I have a theory that you can wait. I'm actually currently aging about a case of Rosés, of some of my favorite Rosés, and I'm going to open them in 10 years past vintage because I have a theory that deliberately made Rosé will age like white wine. And will probably be pretty interesting and complex once, you know, because the, these are pretty high acid wines. And, um, you know, in the hands of a good winemaker, the acid is really pleasant when it's young. But I have a feeling that, like, I'm thinking of Tampier Bondol, um, you know, some uh, some Basque Rosés, Amistoy, Rubentis, that I've, I'm putting away because I want to see what they're like. Because I have a 
theory that that wisdom can be challenged, and I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I might be wrong, oftentimes am, but I think some of the higher quality rosés can be aged for the same reason you can age white wine. I mean, you don't have to. They're really delicious young, but I think, you know, for the same, like I said, the same reason you would age a white burgundy or a Chablis, they, they take on these really interesting characteristics. And it's not something that, as a wine professional, I have had a chance to do a lot because that's conventional wisdom is that they don't age. I am going to be curious in however many maybe years that'll that be, is. Maybe that'll be, you know, a podcast of ours in five years. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll revisit the... Uh, the aged rosé? Yeah. Here, Madison, this is a bunch of stuff you can't get anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Rosé number two? Yeah, rosé number two. Um, so this is one that I'm pretty psyched about, too. Uh, this is Lioko. Um, this is a kind of one of the new California movement. You know, we talk about um, this kind of new movement in California wine towards wines of place, wines of balance. And this is um, a project between a former uh, sommelier at Spago and uh, the Licklider family. And they, I'm one of my favorite California wineries because they're pretty affordable. This one's twenty bucks, um, and even their high end stuff is under forty. I mean, they have some more expensive stuff too, but some of their single vineyard stuff is, you know, in in the thirties, which for California is pretty reasonable. Um, this is so. Um, this is kind of you know, newly available again. It wasn't available in the market for a while, and I'm really excited to see it back. When they first got introduced, you know, four or five years ago, we actually did a, a wine brunch with these guys at Four Quarter, which was like might have been one of the most fun wine events I've ever put on because, you know, you don't really do wine brunches. You know, they, you have these dinners where you sit down, and it's like course after course of, you know, kind of heavy stuff. And to have this kind of these light, vibrant wines with this food and you know, four quarter in the day is very pretty. You know, it's got a lot of light, and it was it was a I, it was a really good time, despite the fact that I had like the worst laryngitis. Lioko makes a great rosé. This is a rosé of old vine Carignan, planted in the fifties, and and again, long term relationships with the growers, and it's really pretty. And this is this is actually picked to be rosé. So this is. Um, you know, like they made all of the vineyard decisions to make this wine, and I, I love it. It's got this really great kind of, they call it the eye of the partridge, kind of like very faint pink-orange color to it. It's darker in color just by a little bit, but mm-hmm. the nose on this is has a lot more fruit to it than the Ostatu yeah. does. It's a little juicier. Yeah, and like the fruit is a little bit more tropical without being sweet. This is from Mendocino County. Mm-hmm. And like the palate is all unripe strawberry. It really is. It's like... It's super tart and delicious. This is the first time I've had this vintage. Like, I've not opened a bottle of this yet. This is delicious. (laughs) I'm really, really excited about this wine. One of the things I love doing is I will go to concerts on the square with friends. And I'm actually kind of no shade to the chamber orchestra. I love you, chamber orchestra. But I'm generally there for the people and the wine to, like, sit and have a picnic after work on a Wednesday. And let's be honest, like, not the optimal listening conditions at – Concerts on the square. They do like there are a lot of great things about it, but acoustics not in the top five. So <laughs> I think we can just stipulate that and move forward. Yes, keep moving on. Um, <laughs> I love getting a different bottle of rose every week, and usually because I'm with a group of people, it's like three to four bottles of mm-hmm. rose every week, and I I like to just try to work through as many 
roses as I possibly can. And the great thing is that for 10 bucks or 15 bucks, if it's not amazing, everything is fine. Yep. Uh, it's all it's all good. And yeah. You just save it for the end. Yeah. When it matters less. I try to go <laughs> I try to go to as many of the rosé tastings as like Square will have mm-hmm. or Barrique's will have and I try to go to as many of those kinds of tastings as I possibly can because you can taste the whole range and you can find the one or two out of the eight. It's yeah. going to be amazing at its price point. Yeah. I will say one of the challenges with rosé is that it does change so much year to year mm-hmm. and depending on the producer um Year to year, I may not know whether it's going to be of good quality. And there will be like a couple of years where it's pretty good mm-hmm. and then one year where it's just really not. Yeah. And where and for me, if it's if the acidity is so harsh or if it – like there's – some rosés can get kind of a paint thinner thing going on. Yeah. And that's really unpleasant. Um, or they can just get really thin. Mm-hmm. And I think – Sometimes year to year, it can be hard to figure out. Okay, this is the this is the deal of the year. Yeah, accepting some variation is okay. You know, like I think to me, I trust certain like Ostatu. Some some vintages are really like mind blowingly great. Some are just good, but they're always at least good. And you know, get, that's trusting producer and trusting them to make you know good decisions in the cellar and, and in the vineyard even if it isn't the same as it would have been the previous vintage or two vintages ago that you really loved for whatever reason, figuring out a different way to love it because it's still a carefully made product is, I think, it's a good thing for all of us to do, you know, not get caught, you know, not get stuck into ruts. For my birthday last year, my friend brought me a Magnum of the Red Car Rosé. Oh, nice. And I don't know if you've seen the Red Car Magnums, but they're really, really, really tall. Yeah, they're, they're like skinny three and three yeah. feet. Yeah, they're enormous. And so I have a picture of me on my birthday last year, just holding up this like massive magnum of red car. I do I miss that rosé. It's a delicious rosé. It really is. And it's from Sonoma County. Yeah. And it's awesome. There are uh, producers that I go, I go toward, and that is one of them. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned the Chakali. Um, oh yeah. Rose. That's delicious as well. Another yeah. like long bottle. Yeah, that's. I mean, the uh, the Amistori Rubentis is amazing because you don't see a lot of uh, rosé from Basque country, um, just because there isn't a ton of red wine grown in that area of the world. There aren't a ton of Basque rosés, but that one is cons- like consistently vintage to vintage, and this vintage is so good. It's the 2017 is really, really, really compelling. It's That's good. awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm excited to try it. I am I'm very excited to get launched into rosé season and launched into spring. I am right behind you. All right. <laughs> Thank you for coming in. Thanks, Lindsay. This has been The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison produced by the Capital Times. Our music was composed by Patrick Christians. Details about the wines we tasted and mentioned today will be available at captimes.com, and you should be able to find great rosés at Madison Wine Shops all over town. Follow us on Facebook at Corner Table Podcast, and subscribe to The Corner Table on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am your host, Cap Times food writer Lindsay Christians. My wish for you this week is sugar snap peas. I know they're not in season quite yet, but they're so tasty and quick, and I'm craving them anyway. Cheers! Cheers!